are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Ben Beacon from Locked On Wolves as the Minnesota Timberwolves lock up the eighth seed in the Western Conference and will be set to face off against the LA Lakers in the first leg of the NBA play-in tournament. But at what cost? Because they lose Jaden McDaniels, who punched a wall in frustration, fracturing his hand. Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson getting into it on the sideline. Rudy Gobert then escalating things in the locker room at halftime and being sent home, not even participating in the second half of the uh, arguably the most important game of the season for the Timberwolves. Then we chat with Kuka Hill from Locked On Pistons. The Pistons have moved on from head coach Dwayne Casey, promoting him, demoting him, into a front office role moving forward. What will that role look like for Dwayne Casey? And who are some of the head coaching candidates on the market for the Detroit Pistons? And then lastly, as the host of Locked on Rockets, I'll be breaking down why the Houston Rockets have moved on from Steven Silas, yet another head coaching departure. Why was it time for the Rockets to move on from Steven Silas? What did he do well with? What did he struggle with through his three years as the Houston Rockets head coach? And who are some of the names that the Houston Rockets are currently linked to in the coaching marketplace? Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on NBA, your first listen each and every day, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is the host of Locked on Wolves, Ben Beacon, who you can follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube, just search Locked on Wolves. And Ben, the Timberwolves, we'll start with the positive here. They're locked into the eighth seed. They got a big time win against the New Orleans Pelicans. They're set to face off against the LA Lakers in the first leg of the NBA play-in tournament, but it was a grueling affair to get there with multiple Timberwolves players. You have Jaden McDaniels in frustration, punches a wall apparently, and, and might be out for the rest of the season. You have Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson getting into it on the sidelines of this game, final game of the season. Where do we even start with this? What is going on with the T-Wolves? I mean, there's never a dull moment with the Timberwolves. Trust me. Uh <laughs> The, the really like the the way I would best describe it is that this game was uh, for better or for worse and mostly for worse. This was a microcosm of the season. Uh, the, just a complete roller coaster. The Wolves come out flat. They play you know really poorly. Ants two of ten in the first half has six points at halftime. Jaden McDaniels, Carl Anthony Towns are in foul trouble. Then, as you alluded to, McDaniels punches a wall apparently in frustration after picking up a second foul. Uh, and then it's reported after the game he's got a fractured hand. You get uh, McDay or excuse me, Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert going at it on the sideline, and then apparently at halftime as well, where it escalated further. There's multiple national stories out there citing different things that were said in the locker room, and and the Wolves actually sent Rudy Gobert home, which I can't think of the last time that a team did that. You know, and he's it's not like some bench player; he's your starting center, he's a max contract guy, an All NBA player. You just send him home during the biggest game of the season because of behavior. Um, it. It's really, and then in the second half, of course, the plus side that you alluded to, the Wolves end up winning. Uh, we could get into that here in a minute, but lots of pluses from the second half. But now you're looking at certainly no Jade McDaniels for the near future, perhaps throughout the playoffs, possibly no Rudy Gobert in the playing game on Tuesday against the Lakers. We don't know what kind of discipline might be coming down from the Wolves. Uh, uh, certainly a roller coaster Sunday afternoon. 
There's, and I feel like there's almost two ways you could look at this, Ben, right? Where there's, maybe you look at it through the lens of, you know, what you wouldn't want to see is you wouldn't want to see this team be complacent, right? You wouldn't want to see them hanging their heads and no fire, no drive to, to want to win. So in a way, the frustration can be good when it's directed properly, but it seems like this was just all out of control chaos with just, you know, the way that they were kind of responding there in that first half specifically. Yeah, and and like as far as we're aware, there's no real like history between Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert. I was actually watching the Pelicans broadcast and they were talking about, well, there, you know, it doesn't just start out of nowhere. There's got to be like, I don't know that there really is like any notable issues. And and everybody after the game said all the right things in terms of like, hey, we're men, we got to move. You know, Mike Conley, Kyle Anderson all said like, we'll move past this. Like we're all adults. Rudy's already apologized. Like the whole thing. Um, and in this game, like the Wolves actually responded to adversity and and came out strong in the third quarter, played well to finish the game. Towns and Ant both had moments in the second half. Bench guys stepped up in the absence of McDaniels and Gobert. And at least for this game, for this moment, they responded positively to this adversity. And that's not something we've seen consistently this season from the Wolves, but certainly more of late. And, and perhaps that bodes well on Tuesday, at least against the Lakers. I don't know what that means if you get past the play and, and you know, you're facing Memphis in the first round of the playoffs again, what, what that looks like. But um, perhaps I can channel that into channel that frustration and that, that tension into a good performance on Tuesday. As it stands, we don't know whether or not we're going to see Rudy Gobert in that game Tuesday night against the LA Lakers. Do you think... How would you like to see the team handle this? Do you think it's worth th- this type of altercation is worth saying, you know what? We know this game is important, but we've got to stick to our principles. You did something wrong. We got to suspend you for a game. Or do you would do you, would you like to see him actually out there competing so that the Timberwolves are at their best? It's it's tough. Uh, I mean, like I think it really depends on how. Like apparently, it, things did not de-escalate in the locker room. They got worse, and then he was sent home by the front office and apparently then texted the the team group chat after Rudy Gobert did. And then he sent out a tweet apologizing to the fans and the organization and his teammates. So at least through text and Twitter, he's saying all the right things. We'll see if I'm sure there's some sort of face-to-face on Monday before the team leaves for Los Angeles. And if that's all handled correctly, I think, yeah, you got to have him on the floor for this game. It's, I know if you lose, you play again later in the week to get the eight seed, but it, for all practical purposes, this is really a win or go home type game. And also from a basketball perspective, Nas reads out with a fractured wrist. So you don't have your backup center. You're down to, you know, Nate Knight and Luca Garza are both good players, decent fringe rotation guys, but you don't really want them backing up Carl Thitty Towns in, in this magnitude of a game. Um, you want to have both Rudy and Towns on the floor. So I think, I think if he's saying the right things and if they're truly going to live up to the like, hey, we're adults, we can get past this, we can learn from it and move on. Then you gotta you gotta have him on the floor Tuesday. Um, I, I think they sent a message by sending him home. Like I said earlier, I don't know if that's if there's much precedent for that, uh, at least in in recent memory. So you know it feels like they sent the message that way. Hopefully he's on the floor Tuesday. Now back to some of the some of the positives, at least from the second half of this game, after things seemed to kind of calm back down a little bit in the way that the Timberwolves responded. Anthony Edwards really turned it on in the second half of this game. He wound up finishing with 26 points, 13 boards, four steals, four blocks, and and Chris Finch was incredibly complimentary of his defense yes. down the stretch in this game. Yeah, and Jane McDaniels is going to make a run for an all-defensive team uh, nomination this year, and he played nine minutes before leaving with first foul trouble and then with the fractured hand. Um, And Anthony Edwards was, the for the most part, the primary defender on Brandon Ingram down the stretch. Nikhil Alexander-Walker got some run there. You saw a little bit of Kyle Anderson, a little bit of Torian Prince. 
Um, but down the stretch, it was Ant who, like Ingram, had a great game. I mean, look at the box score at forty-two points, shot greater than fifty percent from the floor. Like, no doubt, had a great game. But down the stretch, Ant blocked him a couple different times. He had a play where he reached across Brandon Ingram's body, stripped the ball, went down in transition, ended up scoring on an and one putback, and it was just an incredible series of of um, events that happened there. And that's just the example of the brilliance of Anthony Edwards. Now, he also had eight turnovers in this game, the eighth of which was up three with about 20 seconds left. He just stepped out of bounds when he was being trapped. Just a completely careless turnover. So, And he started the game two for 10. So we saw the good and the bad. But when the chips are down, Anthony Edwards is that guy that you want with the ball in his hands and also guarding the other team's best uh, perimeter player, best ball handler, whoever that might be, best scorer. Um, and certainly not having Jade McDaniels against a team like the Lakers is going to really hurt. Certainly against a team like Memphis, potentially in the first round, that'll hurt. One of the advantages the Wolves had is they had two guys who could lock be locked down perimeter defenders in Edwards and McDaniels. A lot of people don't realize this. Edwards is a legit plus defender on the ball when he's on. And when it's the playoffs, I think he's always going to be on because he it's those games against you know the Spurs on Saturday. He was not good defensively, but he knew they had to win Sunday. He locked in. He was great on that end of the floor, and he also contributed offensively, had a strong stretch in the second half as well. So uh, Ant, obviously, is going to be huge against the Lakers on Tuesday, but uh, he's a true two-way player. And this Lakers matchup on Tuesday, Ben, I mean, still, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Rudy Gobert, but when you're looking at these two teams, how do the, the T-Wolves kind of match up with this Lakers team and going up against none other than their former point guard, D'Angelo Russell himself? Yeah, there's a lot of storylines here. There's the D'Lo. There's also Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. Um, and Patrick Beverly was on this Lakers team earlier this year, too. So it, there's a lot of shades of the Wolves team that was in the playoffs 12 months ago. Um, you know, I, like the Wolves beat the Lakers two out of three times this year. A couple of those were earlier. One was like, I think November one was December. Or so before the Lakers kind of remade their roster on the fly and they lost to them most recently, just a little over a week ago in a big game, uh, the Lakers won by double digits in that game. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of storylines here. I actually don't hate how they match up. I liked it a lot more when Jaden McDaniels was was available for the Wolves, but with no Jaden McDaniels, it makes me a little nervous how they can contain on the perimeter, whether that's D'Lo, certainly LeBron, um, and, you know, the other thing is Gobert struggles with Anthony Davis. I mean, pretty much everyone does. But like the last time the Wolves played the Lakers, Gobert struggled with Anthony Davis. And but still, you need bodies to throw at AD. And, um, you know, I don't know what this is going to look like exactly on Tuesday, but you need perimeter defenders. You need bodies to throw at AD. I, I know McDaniels, no Gobert changes the dynamic quite a bit. Otherwise, I don't hate the matchup. I, I feel like the Wolves can score on the Lakers. I feel like uh, for the most part, they can contain D'Angelo Russell unless he goes complete, you know, revenge mode D'Lo um, throughout the uh, the game on Tuesday. But it's an OK matchup. I like it a lot more if McDaniels and Gobert are on the floor, though. Will Rudy Gobert be available for the game against the L.A. Lakers? How will the Timberwolves decide to handle this and will they be able to make it out of this first leg of the play in tournament? Of course, you'll just cover for all that and more over at locked on wolves. Ben, I appreciate you stopping by locked on NBA with me. Thanks for having me coming up. The Detroit Pistons have moved on from head coach Dwayne Casey. What do they need out of their next head coaching hire that Dwayne Casey couldn't give to this young core? We're going to get there in just one moment, but first today's episode is brought to you by prize picks. 
Next game, how about Joel Embiid to score more than 26.5 points? What about LeBron James to have more than 7.5 rebounds? How about Kevin Durant to have less than 6.5 assists? Or what about Steph Curry to have more than 3.5 three-pointers made? So what is prize picks? It's daily fantasy sports, but how does it work? Basically, you pick two to six players. If they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can run up to 25 times back on your money on any entry that you submit. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And PrizePix offers projections on any sport that you watch. That's NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA. They've got you covered for all the action over at PrizePix. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that simple. They're safe. They offer fast withdrawals. Currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Pistons, Kuka Hill. You can find wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Pistons. Koo, the Dwayne Casey era has come to an end, sort of, in Detroit. He's stepping away, no longer going to be the head coach of the Pistons, moving into now a front office role in the announcement into the season. First, let's start with just how would you best describe Dwayne Casey and, and his tenure as the Pistons head coach over these last five years. Um. Oh God. Okay, you hit me with a hard hitter immediately. Uh, <laughs> That's what we're all about here, Koo. Come on. Um. I don't know. I. I. I don't know how I explain it because when he was first brought to the Pistons, he was brought here to try to help a, a team that was trying to win. It was at the time when they had Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, Reddy Jackson, and for that one season, Blake was great. And they they were able to limp into the playoffs, and they got swept by the Bucks. And ever since then, it's been just downhill with the win loss. They just had their wor- or their second worst season in franchise history. And over the last three seasons, they haven't amounted to eighty two wins. So I think Dwayne is a great man. He's a great human. He's a great role model. Like all that good stuff. He's a great human being. That's probably the main reason why he's going up into the front office. But when he this is a business one. So when just looking at the win loss and everything, it did not go very well. Um, I guess his story, and he said this himself, the the outcome of his time with the Pistons will be determined on how these young players end up, because if they end up play, turning out really well, he's probably going to get a lot of credit for that. Cause he was the one that was here with them, helping them become young men, learn how to be an NBA player develop and stuff. So if they become good players. I'm sure he'll get a ton of credit for that for years to come that, Hey, he was the guy who got them there. He just didn't get to see it through and before they went and got their guy. Um, so I think that's what really is the last hope for his era to be considered like a success, I guess. Um, but I mean, after having like the second worst franchise, uh, second worst season in franchise history, I-, I struggle to find any way of trying to spin this in a positive or a positive light. So when you when you look at Casey's tenure and, and trying to figure out trying to evaluate him, I mean, are, what what were some of the specific examples of uh, I guess shortcomings you know throughout his time as the and I'm assuming you are you are firmly behind this decision right for the Pistons to move on from him as the head coach. 
No, yeah, I'm I'm completely behind it. I had been saying for a while that the Pistons probably need to get a new head coach. I mean, I I said this a year and a half ago that he this season would this season would probably be his last one, and they would probably move him up into the front office. They they weren't going to fire him. They they were never going to do that. They respect each other too much. They they weren't going to fire him. And he's an older he's an older man, and and they were they, the plan was always to move him up into the front office. Um, so I was behind this decision. I thought it was the decision that they need to do. Um. But his shortcomings, really, his offense was just so stagnant and and very, very, I guess the best word is non-creative. Um, the Pistons were not a very good ISO team for for a long time, yet they were in the top half of the league in ISO possessions, according to Synergy, and were one of the worst ISO teams in the entire NBA, but continued to have high usage in that in that area because the offense oftentimes – just didn't have much creativity and always boiled down to an ISO here, your turn, ISO, your turn, ISO. So, and then for a while there, they they switched everything on defense and that didn't translate to good basketball because they didn't have the personnel to do it. They tried doing stuff differently this year, but even then that, that didn't really work. But Dwayne Casey didn't have a good roster for sure. He didn't have a great roster. They were, and were they trying to win? No, but I feel like some of his issues were more to do with the lack of creativity on the offensive end which I think kind of tracks back all the way to his Toronto Raptors days if you talk to some people in Toronto. So with with this move and Casey moving into the front office for the Pistons, I mean, what type of a role are we talking here? Do we even know at this point? Is it is it going to be as just a consultant? Is it going to be as a as a scout? Like what what are we what kind of vision do the Pistons have for for his role? Uh, we don't know yet. I'm going to assume it's just as a consultant, as an advisor of some sort. I, I'd be shocked if it's like some big time role where he's actually having input on like roster decisions and stuff like that. Like I'd be shocked. And actually, if that was the case, I would not be for this. If if he if if they are elevating him to the front office position to where he's going to have like input on what they do with the head coaching hire or what they do with the roster and who they draft. Like if he's having that kind of input, I'm very much against this because the Pistons. It's not confirmed, but they very likely have a lot of people already in the room. I mean, we we've heard that there's a lot of people being that there are in the, a lot of voices in the front office already and to add Dwayne Casey there. I don't think he's really earned that if that's what they're going to do. So I'd be shocked if they did that. It'd have to be for me. I'd assume just a, an advisor role, a consultant, a role model for the young guys like that, just to keep them around. Cause they're so used to him, I guess. I mean, that that's the guess I'd have, but we don't know for sure yet. They haven't really said anything on it. There are a handful of reported possible replacements for Dwayne Casey so far, including Bucks assistant Charles Lee, Raptors assistant Adrian Griffin, Ime Odoka, former head coach of the Boston Celtics, uh, Heat assistant Chris Quinn, and some other names not yet mentioned. Akut, what what are the Pistons looking for out of their next head coach? What does the next guy need to bring to the table that Casey couldn't or, or, or didn't have? So... I, I just got done recording my own podcast and I mentioned this exact thing. The Pistons, I, I like to go back to where Nate McMillan, um, midway through this past season, they he was talking about how he feels like maybe this this generation has passed them up. Maybe it's it's this this coaching generation has passed them up. It's it's a younger generation, it's a new type of basketball being played, and maybe he's just been passed up. I feel like that's what happened with Dwayne Casey. So I want the Pistons to go out and get a young coach. Who is I, I? I wanted to avoid saying "hip" to this generation. I don't think it's the right word to use, but basically that's what I'm trying to say. Go get a younger coach um, that can relate with these young guys. And the name that you mentioned, I think you everyone should really keep their eye on with the Pistons' job is Chris Quinn of the Miami Heat. He's been a long-term assistant. 
for Eric Spolstra, a former player. If you guys played NBA 2K, you definitely know who he is. He had a, lot, a lights out three pointer in like 2K10. Um, but he he's been a long time assistant coach for Eric Spolstra. He's filled in for him when he's sick, um, when he gets ejected. And even Udonis Haslam, who we know, who is the heart and soul of that team, he said of Chris Quinn. Um, when you listen to Quinn, you're hearing Spo. It's the same message. He has the knowledge, the experience, the relationship with players. He has every base covered when you talk about checking the boxes to have the ability to be a successful head coach. Um, So I'm not saying I know who exactly who they're going to go after, but if I had to put my money down on someone right now, and there's going to be a ton of candidates. Woj and all of them already tweeted out that the Pistons will be casting a wide variety of, of, of potential candidates, going and making sure they do their due diligence. But if the very early game, if I was forced to put money on someone or someone I'd want the Pistons to go after, it's Chris Quinn of the Miami Heat. Now, Koo, the Pistons this season, you know, record, worst record in the NBA, which the good news for the Pistons means they can fall no lower than fifth in the NBA draft lottery. So they will be guaranteed a top five pick in some capacity. Now, we heard a lot of talk in the recent, you know, recent weeks that, you know, Brandon Miller may have overtaken Scoot Henderson as the number two prospect in this year's NBA draft. There's some question marks, though, about if the Pistons were to land the number two pick, right? They've got Cade Cunningham. They've got Jaden Ivey. What direction do you ultimately think that they would go if they landed the number two overall pick? Is it just an easy answer? You say, Brandon Miller, and you're happy with that? No, if they, if, I'm telling you this right now. Everyone who's listening to this right now, I'll tell you this: if the Pistons draft Brandon Miller at two, I'm, I'm something, something needs to be checked. If they, they very not draft Brandon Miller at two. So this is the thing: the, not getting Scoot has all to do with the Pistons already having two good guards. But the problem is, Scoot Henderson is a is a is just a wild prospect that you can't pass up on. If they do want to go the fit route with Brandon Miller. If they do get the second pick and they want to go the fit route with Bram Miller, you better be trading back. There's no way, value-wise, you should be taking Bram Miller over Scoot at two. And if you can't trade back, I almost would rather say, I was just talking about this in the podcast last week, that if drafting Scoot at two, at some point, one of these young guys are going to be traded down the line. Very rarely through rebuilds do all the young guys survive through it. Eventually, one, some of the young guys, some of the good, talented young guys – get flipped for that win-now star, for that superstar down the road. Who's get, who's netting you more value at this point? Who has more value as a player? Scoo Henderson, the generational prospect that would be number one if it wasn't for Victor Webanyama, or Brandon Miller, who you'd reach at at two. So in any scenario at two, you better either be drafting Scoot Henderson and then looking down the line, if they don't work out Jaden, Cade, and Scoot, then you're able to flip a really good asset and get a guy who's ready to help you win now and they would acquire more for you than Brandon Miller would. Or you, if you really like Brandon Miller, you trade back and you get him somewhere else. But in no way should they be taking Brandon Miller at two. If they do that, I might jump out this back window right here. <laughs> what will the future hold for Dwayne Casey as a member of the Pistons front office? Who will ultimately be the Pistons next head coach? You're going to have us covered for all that and more over at Locked On Pistons Coup. I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Appreciate you. Coming up, the Houston Rockets have decided to part ways with head coach Steven Silas. Why was it time for the Rockets to move on from Silas? And who are some of the names on the head coaching marketplace that the Rockets could be pursuing this offseason? We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Basketball GM. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is the coolest mobile game that I've played in a long time. I've always thought that I could be a fantastic NBA GM. And as it turns out, 
It's actually not that easy. It's a lot harder than I thought it would be. If you had the same thought and have fantasized about managing your own basketball franchise, go and download Ultimate Pro Basketball GM right now. The game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise, playing through the seasons and leading your franchise and fans to glory as you build a historic dynasty. In the simulation, you're responsible for dealing with challenging personalities, players and coaches, hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading and training players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency, the draft and all the ups and downs of multiple seasons. We made our own little locked on ultimate pro GM basketball league. And we've been talking trash with each other. Guys have won championships. We're going back and forth. It has been a ton of fun. You can check it out. Locked on Rockets listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on in the game store. So make sure to check it out to download the game. Just visit probasketballgm.com, scan the code or look it up on the app store. That's probasketballgm.com, ultimate basketball GM, start your dynasty today. And final segment here at Locked on NBA Monday. As always, thank you so much for making Locked on NBA part of your day every single day. Free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. And now it's me, Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked on Rockets. You can follow Wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube, just search Locked on Rockets to break down why the Houston Rockets have decided to finally move on from head coach Steven Siles, why he will not be back coaching the team next season. And first off, you could just look at the win-loss record. It hasn't been great. The Rockets have been the worst team in the NBA two years in a row, and then this year they're going to finish as the tied-for-second-worst team in the NBA with the San Antonio Spurs, but even looking past the win-loss record with Steven Silas, there was never an expectation of him to get wins with this team, right? He walked into a situation when he was first hired in Houston where he thought he was going to be coaching James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and have kind of this ready-made contender to go to war with, and then he had that swept out from underneath him, right? And he was thrown face-first into a rebuild that he wasn't expecting, and that the Rockets maybe were sort of expecting at the time, given that James Harden kind of had one foot in, one foot out the door. But unfortunately, while he was dealt a pretty bad hand of cards when he became the Houston Rockets head coach, he also didn't do very much with the hand that he was ultimately dealt. You can look at how he has navigated these last three years, and there are a lot of concerns, a lot of question marks about how he was, or whether he was able to really get the most out of the players on his roster. It feels like he has this very predetermined idea or like basketball philosophy of how the game should be played and never really matched his approach to the game, to the personnel that he had on hand. He has this vision for how he likes to run offense, which is this, you know, free-flowing, read-and-react, minimal structure. And that sounds great in theory, but when you're running a group of 19, 20, and 21-year-olds and you've got a starting lineup that is younger than some collegiate teams, you need more structure. You need to be a bit more heavy-handed with your coaching to get the best out of your players. So when you look at what, Steven Silas did well versus what he struggled with, it's really hard to point to anything that any one thing that he actually did well over his three years in Houston. There's there's really nothing that I can concretely point to and say, yes, he did this incredibly well and he should return as a head coach or he should get another shot 
you know, another season as the head coach because of these reasons, right? And he got a lot of chances. The very first year that he was the head coach, you ball that year up and you throw it out because that was the transitional year. James Harden demands a trade nine games into the season. You're pivoting midseason from contending to rebuilding. You don't count that year. And then his second year was Jalen Green, Alperin, Shugut. It was their rookie year. So you still don't even count that year. This season, this past season, these last 82 games, was supposed to be the year where, not even judging based off win-loss record, but you were supposed to be able to see something a bit more concrete with Steven Silas of, okay, he's good at this, or he's really employing this type of offensive identity or culture or hierarchy, and there's none of that, unfortunately. The Rockets look like a mess pretty consistently on both ends of the floor, and some of that is because they are a young team, but some of that, and a lot of it actually, falls on the coaching staff and just the lack of structure, the lack of ability to employ defensive schemes that work for this group. There's just top to bottom issues for this organization and coaching is a big part of it, unfortunately. So is Steven Silas a victim of the Houston Rockets rebuild? This is a narrative that seems to be beginning to follow Steven Silas a little bit. Some National media pundits have brought up the idea that Steven Sy- oh he's a he's a good guy and he he was you know dealt a bad hand and this you know this was a bad opportunity. I yes, absolutely to all of that. Steven Silas was not given the best environment to succeed in as a head coach, unfortunately. But sometimes that's also just life in the NBA, right? Sometimes you're given a hand, you know, you're dealt a hand of cards and you have to do your best to make the most of it. And that's where we go back to, it it just, it hasn't coalesced at any point over these last three years where you've walked away from, you know, a a stretch of games where you thought, man, this is, he's, he's really got something going here, right? He started last season, one in 15, and again, this is not not even just the win loss record is one thing, but a team that comes out and starts the season one and fifteen, and then again to to mimic that this year going two and fifteen to start the season. Yes, you look past the win loss record to a certain extent, but there is something about the way that this Rockets team, the past couple seasons, and really the whole three year tenure under Steven Silas, just hasn't ever really had an identity. Right, they've ne- at no point has you have you been able to point to anything and say yes, this is a this is the staple of a Steven Silas led team. They are really good at this, or they bring this to the table, or this is what they're elite at. They might struggle in some other areas, but this is the one thing that they can do incredibly well. There wasn't any of that. So, in three years of being the head coach, haven't been hasn't been able to establish an identity. Hasn't really been able to hold players accountable demanding, you know, a certain standard of play. And it is really tough when you've got such a, a a young group. But ultimately, with this situation with Steven Silas for the Houston Rockets, it was long overdue. It, it felt like something that probably would have happened much earlier in the season had it not been for the passing of Steven Silas's father, Paul Silas, which feels kind of callous to say, but it's just a fact of the matter that when his father passed and the Rockets were going through a really rough stretch in December, there was a lot of talk heating up about whether the Rockets would move on from Steven Silas at the midseason point and promote one of their assistant coaches, either John Lucas or 
Mahmoud Abdel Fada and have one of them run run the show until the end of the season and then figure out their next head coach from there. But after the passing of Paul Silas, it, it probably just felt like a situation that would have been, you know, the Rockets would have gotten flamed if they had canned their head coach immediately after he lost his father, who was an NBA legend and an NBA coach himself in his own right. So at that point, organizationally, they were likely just resigned to the idea of he's going to play out the rest of the year. They wanted to be a, they were planning to be a bottom team anyways, again, to secure another top draft pick that wound up working out in their favor, whether they missed out on some of the, the day to day, the micro situations of maximizing developmental time for guys like Jalen Green and Alperin Shingoon and Jabari Smith Jr. Sure, those guys definitely probably struggled these past couple of years and under the hand and in the hands of a better coach, they might have been they might have started blossoming a little bit quicker and might have started showing some upside a little bit sooner. Uh, Steven Silas w- was on record as saying that he wasn't drawing up any plays for Jabari Smith Jr. at one point this season. So not drawing plays for the third overall pick in the draft is a pretty damning statement, unfortunately. So maybe maybe things would have looked a little bit better in Houston had they had a different coach. But at the end of the day, the big picture, the macro view for things in Houston, they're getting about as clean of a reset point as you can hope for as an organization. They'll have the opportunity to hire a new head coach with many names on the markets current on the market currently linked to the Houston Rockets. Nick Nurse, Kenny Atkinson, Ime Udoka, a handful of names past those of guys who could be in the running for the Houston Rockets head coaching position. They have, they project to have upwards of 60 million in cap space this offseason to play around with. They've got a young, exciting core of players and they've recouped some of their draft assets and they have about seven to eight first round draft picks over the next you know, five or six years. So they are in about as good a position as any team in the NBA to make a big splash this offseason. And They have to nail the head coaching hire, though, because the Rockets have basically become a bit of a laughingstock across the NBA landscape over these last two to three years. And the first domino that has to fall, the first step in the right direction to getting this Houston Rockets organization back to a place of legitimacy in the NBA landscape is bringing in a coach with some pedigree. They cannot bring in another rookie head coach. They can't bring in somebody that doesn't have coaching experience. They need somebody with some pedigree to come in and give some credibility to this organization in the worst way possible. So a Nick Nurse, an Ime Odoka, a Kenny Atkinson, any of those types of names would do wonders for this Houston Rockets organization. How will the Houston Rockets look In the post-Steven Silas era, who will be their next head coach? I'll have you covered for all that and more over at Locked On Rockets. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.